0: Hey, welcome back to Organized Noise, a show about hearing, perception, and understanding in new and experimental music. This is part two of my interview with Aaron Dillaway. If you haven't heard part one, please go back and listen to it on the podcast stream or on SoundCloud at Aaron Dillaway Beginnings. Enjoy.
1: Taped over this tape by this new age artist uh, named Paul Winter, who had put out a record called Wolf Eyes. And Nate did this recording of himself playing organ along with this Robert Redford uh, Sound of the Wolves record. It's like, what was it? Oh, I think one side was like Robert Redford reading Peter and the Wolf, and the other side was The Sound of Wolves. So it was him playing along with The Sound of Wolves. And so this became, this was his wolf eyes tape. ended up morphing into... He started a solo project called Wolf Eyes while he was in Chicago. And it was him kind of doing these... He would play these rewired, like, key guitars. I think the first gig I remember him playing was... I think he was opening for Carolina in Chicago. And he's just drinking wine and kind of just shooting the shit. And occasionally, like, playing this little keyboard. It was hilarious. It was amazing. Um... And that I believe was the first Wolf Eyes gig. Nate made that first tape with the Howling Wolves and the organ, and then. Um, but he at the same time he did that, he was doing this kind of circuit bent uh, keyboard stuff, and. We were both listening to a lot of glam rock and he wanted me to come in to lay, lay down some like guitar riffs on this these recordings he made. So <clears throat> when we first started playing together it was different he was still doing Wolf Eyes' solo and our duo was called the Michigan Wolverines, which was named after the University of Michigan football team. Because we were like, we already have a bunch of merch already made. So, you know, it seemed like a good idea.
0: (laughs) So you sold Michigan Wolverines stuff? Gear. No, we didn't.
1: (laughs) But but that was the idea. Um, But then as it went on, it just became... We did a few shows as the Michigan Wolverines, but eventually it just morphed into Wolf Eyes. And I think our first proper show as the duo Wolf Eyes was opening for Easy Action at the Gold Dollar in Detroit. That place was incredible, um, but Easy Action were like a real kind of—I mean, they are—you uh, know—a heavy hard rock band, and uh, so the punk, you know with a with a punk background. But we were we're close friends with the guys in Easy Action, so that's how we ended up on the gig. <laughs> It didn't go over well we got we got yelled at a lot maybe a bottle or two thrown but yeah no gold dollar was an incredible place for us in the early days that's where a lot of the early wolf eyes shows were a lot of the early universal indians shows beast people um yeah you know we could book an insane noise gig on a saturday night and we would be you know packed house and um, I mean there were also a lot of shows where there were like you know, 10 people there too but it was it was a pretty pretty crazy place. Yeah, and it was uh, there was also a lot of, you know, crossover where there'd be noise bands playing with garage rock bands and indie pop bands and um but uh yeah, I mean that's the place where all the Detroit garage rock stuff kind of blew up, the White Stripes and Dirt Bombs and uh yeah, I mean, that was that was the spot where we could do anything, and yeah, it was great.
0: Waldo, I hope you find some friends this year. Oh, Mom. <laughs> I'm nervous and my socks are too loose.
1: One of the tape loops I used to use a lot in... Wolf Eyes was um, a really blown out eight track loop of the um, opening double bass drums from Hot for Teacher by Van Halen. Or it just sounded like a straight, just kind of pummeling. Yeah. Um, but other than that, and maybe a couple Queen loops, but <laughs> I kind of got away from that uh, for quite a while until I did that concealed record. Um, which is all uh, Neil Diamond loops. I mean, after John joined, the the improvisation got heavier for sure.
0: Because he has that jazz background,
1: right? Yeah, but we were still uh, we were still you know you know composing rhythm tracks and 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 songs for sure. But, so the practices were, sometimes they were just jam, sometimes they were, uh, programming. Um, it was always, we were always working on something, though. It was all southeastern Michigan. The house I was talking about was in Ann Arbor, but, um, there was a point when Nate lived, uh, in Dearborn, and, uh, we practiced in his basement there. John was in Lansing for a lot of the time, um, and then he was in Ferndale. We practiced there, um... Or maybe he was in Ferndale the whole time of uh, Wolf-Eye's era. Lansing might have been more Universal Indian stuff, but. (laughs) At the time in the mid 90s, late 90s, I didn't really know like modern hardcore all that much. And I had never heard of Black Dice. Well, I had I, heard one thing about Black Dice. One day I got a call from Hisham, the drummer, asking if I could help hook up a Black Dice show in Ann Arbor or Detroit. And up till then, the only, to, only thing I'd ever heard about Black Dice was that they were a really violent hardcore band that One of my friends went to see him in Portland, and right after the first, like, one, two, three, four, the singer, Eric, ran up to my friend and just grabbed his balls and squeezed as hard as he could while he was screaming, and brought my friend to his knees, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm not gonna book some guys who are... I'm like, no one's gonna come to this show except my friends, and you know, I don't want these dudes, like, beating up my friends, so... I ignored it. And it was, it was like a couple of years later that we all ended up meeting and became really close buddies and, and hit it off really well.
0: Did you bring it up?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> and they, they laughed, you know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was kind of a weird point where we were kind of getting more abrasive and they were getting a little weirder. And so we were, we were at this really kind of pivotal point in both of our, uh, bands and I, it, I don't know, it was just a really, it really made sense for us to get together and play. And so, um, I think, yeah, the first time we saw them, they came and played in, uh, Olsen's basement at a part, we had a party in Ferndale and they just blew everybody's mind i mean they were a, they were still a hardcore band but they were really fucked up and like i'd never seen a hardcore band that um that strange it was one of the most abrasive gigs i'd ever seen they brought so many amps down to john's basement i think they blew out the power in like half of his house like it did <laughs> like, like they did some major damage that like didn't even get fixed for like, it was like a big, I feel like half, they didn't have power in half their house for like a month or two afterwards. Anyways, yeah, we recorded in Chinatown, like the day we declared war on Iraq. I remember us going up for lunch one day and Eric coming over and you know, like, yeah, we're, hey, we're at war, yeah, it's official. <laughs> and it was just kind of, it was a weird vibe citizens. At this hour, American coalition forces yeah, in the early were, stages of their, military operations recorded on, DAT on right I took the dat, DAT to a friend's studio world, and we we mixed it down to where a lot of the tracks that ended up on the record are maybe just two people playing at once or or four people. I would I, I did a lot of uh, some like heavy mixing on that where a uh, You know, we could probably, if we went back to those tapes, we could probably pull, like, you know, another four or five records out of it. with, With all the material that didn't get used,
0: every nation in this coalition has chosen to bear the duty and share the honor of serving in our common defense. Do you care to talk about leaving Wolf Eyes? Um,
1: sure. I mean... I originally I was I was never fully comfortable with all the touring we were doing. It really kind of wore me out. and I like being at home and getting in a regular routine. We were touring so much that by the time when we got home and got by the time we got back in our regular daily routine, it was time to you know pack up and go on tour again. Um, especially after the Sub Pop record, and we were getting all these offers. We got—we were supposed to play Lollapalooza. Um, yeah, and the, it was the year Lollapalooza got canceled, um, and so that was—we ended up. Uh, um, you know, Thurston got us on that, and then when it got canceled, Sonic Youth and all the other bands playing had to quickly book these tours, and. So they had us open up for one half of their tour, and then Hair Police for the second half. Um, so we did that tour, and then we went and did a Peel session. Um, and I, had, <clears throat> I we, we had I we all knew I was going to go to Nepal, where my wife was doing her research. I was leaving for six months after this tour, so we did the Sonic Youth tour, and then we did a Peel session. But it was it was literally like a week after John Peel died, so we were really you know we weren't sure it was going to happen, um, but we ended up doing it, and that was the last time I played as a full member of Wolf Eyes was our Peel session.
0: so the thing that i kind of most want to ask you about is like your your stage presence especially in your live in your in your solo stuff because it seems like you turn into a very different person okay um i've definitely um run into a lot of people over the last couple of years like seen you perform at like three-door studios or the power plant mm-hmm. i was like oh yeah that's Aaron. he runs the record store that i go, a little scared. Um, I was like, "No, no, he's really nice. I swear." <laughs> um, what? What? It, what is it like performing solo? What? It, what's going through your mind?
1: Oh God, I have no idea. I might. I might. <laughs> it might take me a couple beers to 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 get a to explain it uh, more uh, openly. I don't know. Maybe
0: we'll do a, a bonus episode. Yeah, yeah, episode.
1: yeah, drunken, drunken Dilway. <laughs> Pretty yeah. good. After seeing videos of myself, or, you know, I, I eventually <laughs> like, you know, uh, realized what. Uh, you know, I definitely became self-aware. I mean I I guess it's I'm just when I'm playing live I'm listening very hard and um, listening to where the sounds are in the room and where I can move them to and um, and I'm using my voice and objects around me to pull out these sounds occasionally it can get Um, uh, you know, there's definitely been times when my sets have gotten more violent than I'm comfortable with, and uh, I don't know where it comes from, really, you know. Um, But, I mean, there's definitely been times when I was a little shooken up after shows, but a a really good one, it's kind of a a cathartic thing. When I was (laughs) a little kid, I was at um, Sunday school. I think I was five six and we were all singing Christmas carols I started to feel dizzy I remember going to my mom and being like I don't feel good I don't feel good and my mom picked me up and I guess I passed out another woman there was like you know uh my, my child is epileptic I you know your son just had a seizure and so then I, I went through my childhood, kind of having a lot of tests done and uh, you know, brain tests. and They could never really figure out what it was because throughout my, I... Like after that, I had similar experiences, one in uh, like around seventh grade and another actually on a, on a plane on the way to a gig. I guess it it couldn't technically be called a seizure. It was like, they called it convulsive syncope because it wasn't epileptic, but basically I passed out and shook. Um, I had to get taken off this plane and rushed to a hospital. I think a lot of my stuff does have to do with um, growing up, feeling like there was something wrong with me and not knowing what it was.
0: That does it for my interview with Aaron Dillaway. You can find both parts of the interview on my SoundCloud or iTunes under Organized Noise. Um, I tweet at P-A-U-L-U-S-V-H, that is Paulus V-H. And you can find us on Facebook at Organized Noise Radio. Next week, Jen Ken Montgomery, founder of the Generator Sound Art Gallery.